Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. And I am Nate Sager. Menon Rayom went boldly where no woman had gone before. Those who follow hockey know she became the first female to play in an NHL game when she suited up in goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning in an exhibition contest against the St. Louis Blues on September 23, 1992. It marked the first and only time a woman has appeared in a game in one of the four, four major North American sports leagues. The casual fan may not know she played another the following season against the Boston Bruins and then 24 more in pro men's leagues like the IHL and ECHL from 1992 to 1997. A major achievement in the minors. And where else was she going to get to do it? Sadly, there was no sustainable women's league at that time and sadly, that's still the case. Although it can be argued that she helped create an atmosphere that eventually led to the creation of the NWHL in 1999. In the interim, she was a double gold medalist at the Women's World Championships and was in net for Canada when women skated in their first Olympic tournament at Nagano 1998. And there she earned a silver medal. Back to exhibition, or I'll cut that. Back to the exhibition game, which propelled her into uh, the North American spotlight in 1992. While the invitation of a female goalie to camp was a marketing exercise by then-GM Phil Esposito, who was trying to attract attention to his expansion team, and Nate will expound on that shortly, Rayom took the experience seriously and handled it like a pro, and handled it like the pros she was on the ice with. And that underlying current lives on. Case in point, when American actress Angie Bellaro and her husband were exploring movie possibilities for their production company, she remembered what Menno had done. And in that process, thought, why aren't we doing a children's book of this inspiring story? And so on October 20, on October 20th, uh, under the Shi- Simon and Schuster banner, Breaking the Ice was released. Before I hand it over to Nate, uh, whether you know Menon's story or not, and you want you want more on the idea of women entering the sphere of men's sports, aside from Billie Jean King and the Battle of the Sexes, Google Jackie Mitchell, who struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in an exhibition uh, baseball game for the Chattanooga Lookouts in 1931. Isla Borders and Eri Yoshida are recent examples. And uh, if you don't know who Babe Didrik and Zaharias is, definitely look her up and add her to the list. Finally, let's not forget Haley Wickenheiser, who played semi-pro hockey in Finland and Sweden with the men. So, for more on Rayom's legacy, here's Nate Sager. Yeah, Neil, uh, what Menel Rayom did in the 90s is germane, since it shows that just because part of someone's identity, you know, factors into the calculus of them getting the yes, it inevitably comes after they heard no, you know, umpteen times for the exact same reason. Uh you know, in 2020, girls still need affirmation that, you know, high-profile places and positions are for them. Uh, arguing over whether first anything should matter is, miss, is to, to say that is to miss the point. And we need to look at the systems that leads to it taking so long. Uh, forgive my mansplain, that applies to Kamala Harris becoming vice president-elect of the United States, Christia Freeland becoming Canada's federal finance minister, or bringing it back to the sports world, Kim Ng becoming the first woman to be a general manager in Major League Baseball. You know, the circumstances of why Menel Rayom joined the Tampa Bay Lightning at their training camp in 1992 are not why she earned her place in sports history. They are context. You know, it's true. Uh, Phil Esposito was drumming up publicity for this expansion team, playing a cold-weather sport in the U.S. Sun Belt when he brought a 20-year-old female goalie who had played one game in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to, to training camp. 
Now, you know, compare and contrast a, a new NHL team these days. It's a billion dollar build out carried out over years. I think the first time I heard Seattle and Vegas were getting in the league was like 2013. The Lightning were a bit, I mean, you could almost say they were a bit sketchy in their early years, you know, bankrolled by uh, Japanese investors who had never seen a hockey game and who had never been seen in person by the NHL offices. There was a classic quote from Esposito. I told them hockey, they thought I said sake. <laughs> the Lightning took about 10 years and I think about two ownership changes to achieve stability. Uh, but working with uh, Manon Rayom put the Lightning on the right side of history. And Manon has said over the years, you know, sure, I got this opportunity, but look how few playing opportunities there were for women and girls at that time. Like this was more than a half decade before the first women's Olympic hockey tournament. And it was even before Canadian universities and the National Collegiate Athletic Association in the U.S. had a women's national hockey championship. Uh, for this to work, you know, 20-year-old um, Manon, she had to be credible in the goal crease and in front of the cameras. You know, a lot of free agent goalies get brought to an NHL training camp and they don't see the second week, let alone get to play in a exhibition game and face shots from Hall of Famers Brendan Shanahan and Brett Hall. And they're not doing, you know, you know, hours of media, you know, in their second language, no less. And, you know, until their knees buckle. Uh, Manon pulled that all off with obviously, you know, the you know, great goaltending chops and sort of a, you know, down to earth, you know, small town Quebec charm. I can remember staying up late on a school night when she was uh, going to be on late night with David Letterman and now I find out well, she didn't even know who Dave was you know, they didn't, he wasn't on TV in uh, Beauport, Quebec uh, Angie Bellaro's narrative in Breaking the Ice sort of has an inspirational positive tone and there's I don't think any minimizing the uh, Menon Rayom effect on hockey because our previous guest Sammy Joe Small season 4 episode 4 yeah that seems like a million years ago it was just last month <laughs> <laughs> she wrote in the role I played about how she took inspiration from the time that she and Manon were guests on the same radio show in Winnipeg because you know Sammy Joe Small was 16 and like Manon was like the only girl in the league she played in but Manon treated her like a peer and that showed a pathway you know six years later there they were both in, in Nagano together uh, wearing the maple leaf for Canada uh, growth in female hockey, it really spiked after that Olympic debut 22 years ago, as far as I can ascertain. But that wouldn't have been possible without the people who were building the foundation for female hockey before that. And, you know, for, you know, the inspiration, you know, Manon provided. I think, Neil, we had a sort of a, a good rinkside seat for that because we were growing up in the 90s in Kingston and there was a lot of hoopla around a uh, player named Jaina Hefford who is now in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And as it happened, you know, I saw that growth, you know, firsthand my younger sister Trina Sager played in the same uh, Kingston Girls Hockey Association as, and Trina, like Manon, is a goalie. So understandably, I wanted her insight for this. Uh, and she says, yeah, Manon Realm definitely had an impact in girls wanting to play hockey and parents saying, okay, this, this, is, this is good. This is, you know, we can do this. You know, and I always thought, okay, Kingston was really progressive for a city its size with getting girls hockey going. But, you know, my sister pointed out, like, the huge disparities that existed at the time. She started playing goal around 1988, you know, two years before there was a, the first Women's World Hockey Championship. And let's say if there were seven minor hockey associations in and around Kingston, 
there was just one team for girls and it was just like the peewee team that had jana heffert on it uh like they were literally so hard up for a goalie they were calling my sister when she was still in the novice the under 10 age group saying hey, well, hey come play for us and my mother's like yeah i don't think that's gonna work you're gonna be like three years younger than everyone else on the team uh but within you know five to six years you know that organization uh kingston kodiaks they had multiple teams at almost all age levels my sister says it was like, you know, following Manon that really showed her how important it is to have, you know, mental strength when you're a female going into a any traditional male space, such as a hockey rink. You're going to be, you know, judged harshly. You know, a, a male player gets injured and it's like, okay, uh, you know, Tyler's hurt. You know, that doesn't, you know, reflect on everyone else. You know, uh, the quote, air quotes around it, girl Goldie gets hurt and it's like, and ooh, look, she can't take it becomes all, all females can't take it. Uh, we actually had a copy of uh, Manon's autobiography that was published around 1993 or 94. And Manon wrote about how she got cut over the eye when she, she got struck in the helmet by a shot when she played that one game in, in the Quebec League for the Trois-Rivières team. And she was just panicking about having to leave the game and what, you know, what people would say, and, and even though she did have to come out because she was legitimately hurt. And when uh, Trina and I were talking, you know, she related how that passage stuck with her, the whole, you're going to be judged more harshly. So one time Trina was at a goalie camp. She's like 13 or 14 years old. So what? not only one of the younger kids there, but also like the only girl out of like two dozen goalies. Now, back then, the uh, upper body protectors that goalies wore, they had actually different padding in each arm that was based on how a right-handed goalie holds their hands and their arms when they face a shooter. But Trina is left-handed. So, and... So at this goalie camp, you know, you've got some of these instructors, they've got, you know, bombs for a shot. She gets struck by a slap shot on the right bicep where, you know, she didn't really have enough protection and some blood vessels pop, you know, you know, pretty big bruise and you're obviously hurt. And she's just like, no, I'm getting up. I'm staying in the net. I'm not leaving the ice. And that was just like, that was just the mentality that, you know, she learned. Uh, and that was at a goalie camp. It's not, it wasn't a game. There's no scoreboard. But I guess that goes to show, you know, women in sports, you know, once they cross that threshold, you know, it's going to take a lot to get them out of there. And you can ask anyone who, you know, has coached girls versus coaching boys that the toughness is often different and superior. Uh, you know, Angie Bellaro in uh, promoting this book, she said her father had actually led her to believe there'd been, oh yeah, there'd been many women who played in the NHL. Maybe it's not surprising that someone would think there'd been other goalies, you know, since Manon Rayom, you know, you know on average, you know, females, you know, beat males in, you know, balance, body symmetry, flexibility, reflexes, you know, anecdotes are not data, but you, you know, I just remember Ken Dryden relating the time his wife, Linda, beat him in a reflex test, Hall of Fame, and he's a Hall of Famer goalie. So those are all qualities that are essential to goaltending when you build in the resilience and toughness. You can sort of see why we've seen some, you know, goalies like Shannon Zabados, you know, and Kim St. Pierre, you know, earn a place in the men's game. But, you know, even if Menno's still the only woman, you know, the path toward equality is more about having all these multiple, you know, entry points for women to affect and improve the sports industry. You know, and looking around in 2020, whether it's, you know, an athletic therapist in a baseball dugout, the assistant coach on a NBA sideline, a football official or coach, you know, seeing women appear on screen when you're watching men's pro sports is normal now, and that's great. And I think, you know, we've come to realize the ultimate goal is, you know, eventually in hockey to have a league, that, you know, pays decently for, you know, a few hundred women. Uh, you know, I think the basketball bubble really helped people see how far the WNBA has come. Uh, 
you know, we're seeing the big so- big soccer clubs in Europe realizing it, you know, that part of being a first-class organization is to really invest in your in your women's side, you know, and hey, I think it's far better that Jordan Haitema, the young can- Canadian player, is, can get paid by uh, Paris Saint-Germain rather than go play college soccer where only the coaches are getting paid. Uh, you know, the goal is always for the next generation to have more choice. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm optimistic. Hockey's, hockey's going to get there someday. Uh, and, you know, women's hockey, I think Sammy Joe Small said this on another podcast, the Offside podcast that I've mentioned before. It's uh, Women's hockey's now at the point they don't have to worry about the haters. In any event, happy to be here, uh, you know, to talk with about Angie, talk with Angie Bolero and Manon Realm. Apparently they got a, a movie project too. Absolutely, um, and we'll we'll ask them about that uh, when we get to them. Uh, before we get to Angie Bellaro and Manon Rayom, uh, remember uh, to check out all our episodes on sportslit.ca. We try and get them up as soon as possible. And follow us on Twitter at sportslitpod. Okay, coming up, Angie Bellaro and Manon Rayom to talk about their book, Breaking the Ice. Welcome back to Sports Lit. Uh, Nate, we're back with Manon Rayom and Angie Bolaro to talk about breaking the ice. I want to ask you, Angie, um, why are children an ideal group to receive the message of Manon's story? And uh, why don't you think someone had already written this? Um, Well, you just asked one of my favorite questions. (laughs) Um, I love children's books. Um, I think children are at the age to have their lives changed by books in a way that we aren't at any other time in our life. Books can move us as adults and they can inspire us, but we're already kind of set in our ways, you know? Kids, though, this books change how they think about life. They change how they think about themselves, their place in the world, and what is possible for them. And so Manon's story is full of, of so much hope and determination and, that if you want something and you try hard and you don't let people tell you no that you can succeed and that's such an important message for kids to hear um, and to see I think especially representation matters and for girls to see other women playing sports and doing things that they're not normally supposed to or allowed to do shows them that wait a minute, I can do that. Or maybe there's something else that's really crazy that girls aren't supposed to do that I can do. And so we just thought her her message was so powerful for girls and boys because there are a lot of things that society tells us that we should or shouldn't do. And we kind of just wanted to break that mold, let them know you can do whatever it is that you want to do. And as far as why this has not been written before that is the million dollar question i mean when we found my own story i felt like we won the lottery because huh. it's just such an amazing incredible story what she did was so important and so powerful and yet there was there wasn't any literature on it besides you know she wrote a memoir um back in 93 94 um but then there was nothing else and i was like how is this possible <laughs> how is her story not everywhere okay we're gonna change that and you know that's what we're on our mission to do yeah i think there was a copy of that book around around my my house when i was growing up because my sister trina is a goalie uh manon oh, how, i love it yeah manon how does the book show the beliefs you had in yourself and in the possibilities for females in hockey that you, that you want to pass on to children 
Yeah, like Andy said, uh, to me the biggest thing is, um, you know, if you're really, really passionate about something and you work hard, you can accomplish anything you put your mind to. And that's basically what I did. Um, at a young age, people said no to me several times, and I never let that stop me, and I kept going, and I kept going. and. Even eventually, at some point, when I got invited to Tampa, people said, oh, she's only get invited because she's a female. At this time, I'm like, seriously, like all those years you said no to me because I'm a female, and now you're telling me this is the reason? <laughs> and I always had to, to face those things, but I never let that stop me. And Because at the end of the day, I had to perform when I went to camp. And it didn't matter, matter really why they invite me there. I knew I had to perform, and that's what I did, and that's what got me to start uh, an exhibition game. Angie, um, illustrations are as important as words in a children's book. So with that said, can you tell our audience who C.F. Payne is and how you worked in, in tandem on on the, the depictions in this book? Yeah, I mean, we got so lucky to get um, C.F. Payne on this. He is just has an illustrious career. I mean, he's done Obama on Time. He has dozens of books that he uh, for Time Magazine, dozens of books that he's illustrated. A lot of sports books, um, and also a lot of female sports stories. So. Um, Paula Wiseman books um, uh, with Simon and Schuster. Paula chose Chris to do this, and it was. It was really just amazing to have him come on board because the pictures are, are larger than life. And, and he just did a great job of really showing the intensity of the game. And I also just think the scope of what she went through and showing her a part of it, but also not fully a part of it, right? You know, there was still that she was going into this new world where she had to pave her own way, and, and that comes across in the illustrations, um, which I think is, is just really tremendous. This could be a question for either of you, but I think it would probably be for Manon. Was it was it a situation with C.F. Payne where you guys had to hand off some some pictures that would, you know, kind of paint the picture of a young Manon in, in Quebec uh, back in the day? Like, how did... How did the CFP kind of have a visual idea of, of, of what to draw, especially when it came to like Manon's parents and sitting around the kitchen table? <laughs> yes, uh, I had to send them some picture. And unfortunately, uh, it's not like back then, like now where parents have tons of picture uh, because of digital camera. Um, we didn't have a lot of pictures to choose from. And I remember my dad having that mustache and it really showed in the book. And, um, you know, it was just like a little thing like that. It was funny to see. But, uh, yeah, we did send them some picture. And, and it was really cool because all the hockey jersey that I wore, uh, they were illustrated in the book. And to be able to see that, I, I was really like in that moment, too, at the table um, when I'm with my parents, because I remember that moment, that was a turning point when I asked my dad, like, why not me playing hockey? Um, and every time I, I see that image, it's just like, makes me feel so good. And uh, Manon, uh, Sammy Jo Small was a guest of ours, and in her book she writes about a time, uh, I think she's like a 16-year-old high school student, you're a 20-year-old goalie, you're both guests on a radio show, and she says you instantly made me, that being Sammy, feel like a peer. When you were going through your experience with the Lightning and in the Quebec League, how much did you have a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for, you know, all women who want to play hockey or who haven't been able to play hockey? 
Uh, honestly, I don't think I, I realized like that me breaking barriers over and over and over again would like open the door to other people, would inspire other people. I was just like, just grew up playing hockey and with my brothers and I wanted to get to the highest level as possible. And it's not until later when a Sammy Joe Small like get on the radio and, and say things like this or Kim St. Pierre. Uh, that's going on the Hall of Fame talking about like looking up to me or like all kind of different like players like this or parents that come up to me and said you're such an inspiration for my daughter or my son did a project in you in school that's when I realized like wow like my story had an impact and it becomes probably the most satisfying part of my entire journey. Uh, Manon, Sammy released uh, a book just a, a month or two ago um, which chronicles her time with the national program. And the subheading is, you know, Canada's greatest hockey team. And she's referring to the women's national program. And you did get to play uh, for that team in Nagano, 98. But did you ever did you ever look back and wish you kind of, you know, it came a little sooner or you, you know, would have started a little later to kind of be a part of that gold medal streak? <laughs> and, and maybe even just more seeing like, you know, the NWHL coming in, it seemed to just all happen right at the tail end of your career. Yeah, and obviously it would have been great to be able to be on the national team much longer and play on the pro women's league. But, you know, I'm very fortunate that I got to experience a lot of great things in hockey. And, um, you know, and, and I'm glad to see that it moved forward and that maybe my story and the things that I did really helped along the way to move things forward. Because I know after I played Major Junior, uh, Shelin Labonte uh, played in Major Junior. You know, maybe I helped to open her door. Maybe someone said, you know what, we should give her a chance. Because when I started, nobody else were playing. So people were really tentative to give me chances at the highest level. Some people didn't want a girl there. So um, I, I have to be really happy for the time that and the opportunity that I got. And uh, I'm glad that other girls get to experience something different um, later. And but now, a gold medal would have been nice. <laughs> I'm telling you that. <laughs> uh, Angie, now to quote your uh, fellow Michigan native, uh, Bob Seeger, uh, you know, storytelling is all about, you know, what to leave in, what to leave out. How did your collaboration with Manon lead you to figure out, you know, what points of your life you were going to tell in this book? You know, that was really um, very tricky for us because so I feel like, you know, Manon and I joke about this all the time that I know her story better than she knows her story now. We've been working together for five years. Um, we started working together with our film Between the Pipes, which, um, you know, talks, it, it follows the journey of her to the NHL. And so when we decided to do the book, the book kind of came out of the film. We were kind of keeping it in that same scope because. It's really crazy to have somebody who did this amazing thing and, you know, went and played in the NHL, the first woman, the only woman to do that, also the first woman to play a game in any of the major four North American sports leagues. But then it doesn't stop there, right? That wasn't, that wasn't, the, then she goes on to play in the Olympics, like you guys just talked about, the first time women's ice hockey was, um, was a sport there. She played, she had an incredible career with the minors. She got paid to play there. I mean, there are all these, all these different things that she did that were so incredible and were first. 
and we're just like, oh my gosh, we have you know 40 pages and under 1,500 words. What do we what do we focus on? And um, so that was that was tricky. That was hard to hard to decide what to put in and, and what to leave out. Um, but in the end, we decided to kind of keep it with that same journey to the NHL, um, as we thought that that you know helped spur a lot of. Um, everything else that she did that was amazing. And, you know, I don't know, maybe there's going to be a, a break in the ice, too, to, to just catch up with all the other incredible uh, things that she accomplished. And, and Manon, uh, even if it's not necessarily in the book, you know, when, when people review your career, uh, how important is it for people to know that you sort of had early success, you know, in minor hockey, but then after that there were there were roadblocks that even i think led to you sort of taking some time off the sport yeah like i i think it is important because uh, it's what a lot of people face you know along the way nothing is easy in life and uh, that's what i realized all those like adversity that i faced when i was younger they just keep happening over and over later in life in a different way so for me to show people, it's not like I started. I decided to play hockey, and all of a sudden, everybody was opening door for me, and someone invited me to Tampa Bay, and it was great. No, I had to to face adversity. I had to at some point take a different path to make it to where I made it because people didn't want a woman there, and um, and when people understand that, maybe that helped them when they're trying to get into something that is very difficult. Uh, they look at my story and said, you know what, maybe a different pad would work and I can get to the same um, end result. So uh, I do want people to, to know that that was not just the easy road. But I think it's it's true for a lot of uh, different athletes. Like you, you look at different players in the NHL, some take one way and some players, like, you know, they're all over the place and their road to the NHL is different. And I was no different. Yeah, and I, and I think in your specific case, because I, you know, did a lot of research for this, but I think it was playing for a women's team that sort of got you, you know, back into hockey when you were, I guess, in your late teens, right? Yeah, because I, after I played two years of Bentham Doubly, um, every, and I had great season, every goalie was invited to the midget AAA camp except me because I was a female. Um, and then, you know, when you're going down to the lower level, the guys were not as serious about hockey, and I was serious about it, and I didn't know what to do. Um, so I tried to find a different option, and someone talked to me about this female uh, league in Montreal, uh, but I had to drive two and a half hours every Saturday night. And our game, because we're female, uh, we had the leftover ice time. We were playing like at 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night. I would not get back home until 3 or 4 in the morning just to go play hockey. But that's what I had to do to be able to compete at a higher level. Uh, Angie, uh, do you have the book with you? Because there's a little part I want uh, you to read, and then uh, I'm going to ask uh, a question to Manon following. So if you do you have the book with you? I have it. Do you, I'm ready. Do you know the section that that? Uh, I do. Okay. I know the two pages. So I know me and Nate are not like young it. young children, but feel free to 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 read this book, uh, this this children's tale to us. At least this Man, paragraph. We're a couple of forty-something teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's totally okay because I think children's books really transcend age. Um, adults love children's books just as much, I think, as children do. As children do. So um, it'll be good. Okay. So we're about where I'm starting, so everybody knows, is about halfway through the book when she just 
gets to uh, the training camp with Tampa Bay Lightning. The first day came and went, but Manon survived. By the end of the week, it was time for the first round of cuts. Manon paced inside her locker room, waiting to be sent home like most of the other rookies. Her heart raced faster than a 100-mile-per-hour puck. Instead of telling Manon she would go home, Phil said, keep up the great work. Manon was ecstatic. She had another week to play. When the reporters found out Manon was still at the camp, they tried even harder to cut her down. She's a publicity stunt, one reporter wrote. Manon didn't care if that was true or not. All her life, people had told her she couldn't play because she was a girl. Now, someone had told her she could play because she was a girl. She was going to make the most of the chance she had been given. She would finally know just how far she could go. After practices, the other players relaxed in the warm southern sun. But Manon had to rush off to dozens of news interviews, press conferences, and photo shoots. Some nights she was so exhausted, her knees wobbled beneath her. Between practices and the publicity, Manon hardly had time to sleep. Excellent. Angie, thank you for reading that. And I'm, I have a following question for you. But first, Manon, uh, one, one of the things I wondered about was, I mean, part of that, I, I mean, how did it factor in that you were required to do this publicity? And, you know, how did that, I mean, was that something that you knew beforehand was part of the deal to come down there? Um, because obviously you wanted to perform at your best. So was that something you had to, to grapple with? Because you knew you're going to have to probably do things that other people in camp didn't have to do? Actually, I had no idea what I was getting into, to be honest with you. I didn't know the amount of like media attention I would get. I was honestly just going to camp like my brother went to camp in New Jersey and my mom was with me and my dad went with my brother. And that's just like, I had no expectation and no idea what it would look like. I even remember that first day I got to camp and they had a table and it had a bunch of mail on that table. So when I got in to check in, they give me all that mail. I said, what is this? And they said, it's fan mail. Oh. And I'm like, what? What is fan mail? <laughs> People <laughs> writing it to you, you know? And, and I was just like, I was just didn't know what to expect. And I had all those, you know, people writing letter to me before even the camp started. And then the next day, I, I even think that the Temple Bay Lightning didn't know how many media would come. But when you have a Good Morning America or David Letterman or the Two Day Show or calling to get an interview, of course they're going to want to talk to me because I'm the only female and the media person's going to kind of like tell me I have to do this thing and this thing and, and calling back reporter and I was just it was kind of overwhelming but I think I was in a like some kind of like my adrenaline was so high and in between going to the camp and I was in that moment um, where I was just in autopilot and just like <laughs> going with the flow and get it all done but I had to tell you after the end of the camp I remember getting sent down to Atlanta that was a second park and um, my first few days like I don't think I could stop a puck like mm -hmm. I think I was physically mentally just drained from everything so after like being able to play so well in Tampa Bay and going through all those interviews and never stop. And, you know, that emotion of the first exhibition game when I went to Atlanta, the first few days was probably the worst hockey I ever played. And, and after that, it started, like, coming back. But I think that that's what told me, like, I was in some kind of autopilot going through all of this. And then, like, 
it, you know, when I had a chance to just relax and, and just going to a normal camp, it was, uh, I, I felt it uh, those first few days. And, and and you played, I mean, for several years in the minors, IHL, ECHL. And what I looked at when I took to, took a look at how many games you played, I mean, the most amount of uh, time you played in one place was in Reno. And, I mean, that was only 11 games. So during your time in Reno, did you feel like, you you know, for any goalie, it's a rhythm, and I, or any player, but especially a goalie. So did you feel like when you're in Reno, you're getting more than three or four games really helped show what you could do? I mean, what was that time like in Reno? Yeah, like I had a few moments like this. And again, being a female, I felt like I remember my first year I played in the East Coast League. I was in, I started in Knoxville and I would play one game and not play for another month. And I would win my game. And normally a guy would play a game and win a game and he would see <laughs> another game. But, you know, I would just like my next game would be four weeks later and I remember at the end of that year uh, we had three goalies in Knoxville and Nashville uh, had lost a goalie and I got traded to Nashville for one month and they had about six games left and they basically alternated both goalies so I got to play like three games in two weeks and it was the best thing in the world Mm -hmm. and I won all my games and won against my old team which was like something I always going to remember uh, but it, it felt great because I felt like I was giving a chance to uh, to keep, you know, to have a good game and go back at it and really build my confidence. And I remember that first game was against my old team and I won it. And it just felt so good uh, to be able to show, see, you could have played me more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but and also when I went to Reno, um, that really like I got to play more games and we didn't have a good team. We were getting tons of shots. And I know if you look at the stats, I end up with the best goals against average <laughs> of all the goalie that played all year there because they play several people there. But it was a great year for me to play more games and, and see a lot of shots. Um, I got a, a so back to the the, the passage you read, um, Angie. Uh, I've read somewhere that you know you you'd never really taken a stab at, at being an author, let alone a children's book. So uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, but with that said, you know how did you condense this? I mean, c- condensing things is some of the hardest things that writers have have to do uh, to kind of shorten their prose to be hard hitting. And you captured all of this in you know a small you know just like any children's book in a very condensed space. So. How was that a challenge for you? Did you work with your publisher on that? Yeah, so actually, um, so I've been writing children's books for quite some time now. Um, this is my first one to come out, but where I'm, I think maybe you saw it was, I don't write nonfiction books. Okay. So this was my first stab at nonfiction, um, which is a whole different beast because everything you write has to be the truth. Um, I'm used to being able to write whatever you know fiction crazy story comes to mind uh so that was that was very tricky it her story is so interesting um that it makes it easy to write but it's it's still difficult to make every page engaging for a young reader and that was that was very difficult um and I just had a wonderful team at Simon & Schuster, uh, again, with Paula Wiseman and Sarah Jane Abbott, and they really just helped, um, you know, we brought the story major, brought the story to them, uh, completed, and then we made a few changes here or there. But like I said, her story is just so interesting. It, it almost just wrote itself, um, which was nice. <laughs> 
and for I would hope each, and I sort of want to ask each of you this: uh, How timely is it to have this book, you know, coming out now, at, right at a time when there's been some notable and you know overdue first for women in both you know sports and politics? Oh my gosh, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like I said, Mano and I have been working together for five years. And when we started out with the film five years ago, we were like, this is the perfect time. And then next year we're like, no, now it's getting even better. And I feel like every year we've just been like, wow, this, you know, we thought it was good five years ago, but now it's really good. And then when the book came out, even, you know, even a month ago, we were like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. And now, post, you know, um, the elections and having a first female vice president, we're like, wow, this is even more perfect. So it's been, it's been interesting in that way of just seeing how the time has been so ripe for this. And I think people are craving um, these types of stories now um, in this, in, you know, this time of the pandemic. I think people really want positive, feel-good, uplifting stories. And then I also think people really are just craving stories um, with females and then strong females um, that encourage and inspire and uplift their children. So, yeah, just to backtrack, this initially started as a potential film project or a film project, and then the then the book came out, correct, Angie? Right. And, and, right, and, right. And, and so I want to ask you, where does the film project kind of stand as we speak yeah, so we we had um, been planning to to film um, this summer, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we everything got pushed. So we're hoping to film next summer. I mean, now obviously, as crazy as everything is, we're kind of tentatively tentatively planning things, right? But um, the plan is to is to be in production next summer. And 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 barring anything else crazy <laughs> happening in the world. <laughs> well, yeah, nothing crazier could happen, could it? Twenty twenty one. Hold my beer. <laughs> um, yeah. Mano, I mean, just talking about films, it just came to my mind. Mano, we we all know, and and you may know too, Angie. I don't want to pretend you don't know, but because Mano, you you know, you're Canadian. You remember the uh, the the hockey sweater. So I'm wondering, is could this could this book be you know be an animated? Uh, tale just specifically of this of, for this breaking the ice uh, would you like to see it follow the kind of the hockey sweater model i, I guess like to, to us uh, we talk about that like when angie uh came up to me five years ago and said uh, i have this project and i want a female lead in sports and i want to inspire people as soon as she said the word inspired um she got me and i i guess like like the book we want that movie to be able to inspire people not just in hockey but in everything you do in life like i look at right now all those women uh first woman gm in baseball and the woman's referee in in the nfl uh, cami granado uh, scout with seattle ellie wickenizer uh, player development with toronto maple leaf like it's just amazing kendall coin doing tv i was just my son's game um, last weekend, and she's there doing a TV for his game, college hockey, and it's just so nice to see all those women um, getting into all the the men-dominated sports and be successful at it. And I think it just helps 
uh, everybody else, um, and not just men, and also uh, not just women, but also men. I remember getting an interview from Mike McKenna, uh, is an ex-NHL goalie, and he interviewed me, and he said, listen, when I was younger, I saw your story, and you're inspiring me. I said, if a woman can do this, I can do it myself, too. Mm. And I guess that's what we're hoping the movie is going to do, as well as the children's book. Uh, yeah, and I, I certainly remember seeing your picture in the Toronto Star, I guess probably around 1991. Yeah. Uh, Angie, uh, I think you were actually, you acted in a sports movie that's called The Winning Season. Uh, how much did that experience make you interested in doing a sports movie project? Wow, you really did your research. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I've been acting my entire life. Uh, it's actually one of the things that drew me to Manuel's story because... Um, well, I love sports stories, first off. I mean, there's even if you're not a sports fan, I feel like everybody loves a good sports movie, right? They love the underdog. There's something about the teamwork and the camaraderie that I think speaks to people, no matter what your take on sports is. And so I've always loved sports stories. And um, But just seeing her career and what she went through and all the struggles and all the people telling her no really resonated with me um, you know, I always wanted to be an actor. I come from a family with no money in Detroit. We're like, that's your, you know, not what we do, right? And you're a teacher, you go in the car business. We don't go to Hollywood. We don't, you know, have these big dreams. And so, um, you know, just continually chasing that and having so many people tell me I couldn't do it. When I read about her story, I was like, oh my gosh. And that's where I think the power of stories are. You know, it doesn't, it, I, I wasn't chasing a hockey dream, but her chasing after her dream was so similar to what I was doing. And that's where I thought, you know, the, the, the power of it was. And so my husband and I had started a production company um, about seven years ago. And we were coming off our first film and it was very successful. And so the second one, I was like, I, I want it to be something that I write and that I'm starring in. And we both love sports films. So we were just kind of thinking about like, what sports story can we tell about a female, you know, a female athlete that we think is going to be really amazing and I was never really that big of a hockey fan that has changed I am now a very big hockey fan but again I grew up in Detroit so and I grew up at a time when the Red Wings were really big and really hot with Iserman and, and Steve Osgood and all that and I had remembered hearing about a woman who had played in the NHL and it's it's so funny to think back now like that woman was my own and and I just think wow this was really just it was meant to be even back then and um so i said well let's find let's find these women who played in nhl and like maybe we can write about one of them or the first one to do it and then when i started researching you know i only found one of them because she was the only one to do it and then i was like we have to tell this story and again like we talked about earlier how has the story not been told um and that's just where we felt so lucky and then it helped that uh Mano and i met each other in Michigan, she lives about 20 minutes away from where my parents now live, and which was also very coincidental. And then we have our first meeting. I'm going to pitch this idea to her, and we walk in and we see each other. And it was like, you know, in the movie, there's a little bit of a double take where it was like, oh my gosh, am I looking in a mirror? <laughs> we just look so similar, which helped a lot, you know, for playing her in the film. So a lot of things just really felt like again, just destiny, <laughs> like it was meant to be. I'm like, no, I was just meant to tell your stories in a variety of mediums. And I also 
Guys, I don't know that hockey book animation that you were talking about, yes. but I love the idea of an animated series. The <laughs> hockey sweater. That but, is a fantastic idea. Yeah, Raj Carrier, the hockey sweater. Yeah, now Manon, and of all the coaching you have done, uh, where does uh, coaching Angie to play you in goal rank among the challenging coaching jobs? <laughs> I have to tell you the story of the first time um, that she came to Michigan and I said to her, I'll bring you equipment, don't worry about it. My son, Dylan, had so many different sets of equipment with all the years that he's been playing goalie. Um, and I said, Dylan's going to come on the ice with us and I'll pass out. And then she texted me, she said, perfect. What do you think? Uh, should I bring a sweatshirt to wear over the equipment? <laughs> and I get this text, and I turn around, and I so my son. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I said, you know what we're getting into? Um, and Dylan couldn't believe that she even wrote that. So we got to the rink, and I had to dress her up, and I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be very hard. <laughs> and we got on the ice, and to my surprise, uh, she was actually able to skate and to spend with the equipment and we were able to get things done and i was like actually surprised especially after the sweatshirt comment <laughs> um i, I felt like that was a valid the first time this was on the ice <laughs> um uh Manoa, i want to uh, uh, close out by asking you a couple of questions um first of all um the uh, your your niece plays uh, university hockey, right? Or just finished university hockey in uh, with the University of Montreal? Is that correct? Yes, one of them is uh, in Montreal. The other one is in uh, in the U.S. playing college hockey. So they're two sisters. Yeah, so that that's uh, I believe Pascal's daughter, right? Lo- Lo- is, am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Lo- Logan. Uh, Logan. Logan. Yeah, Logan. Logan is the one that's playing Montreal. Yes. Right. So I mean, it, like, do you ever just take a quick look and, and look at them because they're you know they're related to you and and just see the uh, how far women's hockey's gone? Just I mean, with that direct connection to seeing their options and and, and kind of I mean, isn't that kind of uh, an interesting? Uh, I guess point to look back on. You can look at your your niece and see how far the game has come. Oh, absolutely! I look at when I started to play. I had I was the only girl playing with the boys. Now you can start playing hockey at a young age, and, and be able to play on the on the girls' team right away. And it's a high level. You can go to university, to college hockey in the U.S. Uh, the national team. I remember uh, my brother lived in Michigan for a few years uh, while he was playing in Flint uh, the last few years of his career. And uh, I coached his youngest one, Alex Fan, uh, while she was here. And now she's playing college hockey in the U.S. So it, it's really cool to see that those are persons say that uh, even for Team Quebec, Team Ontario, like the Canadian National uh, Championship they have every year. It's just... Uh, something that I again I wish I had when I was younger but I had a different path <laughs> yeah you you made it ha- made it happen for the for those people in a lot of ways so um, probably an even bigger bigger uh, story um, so I also want to ask you I mean it's it's a very you know kind of Canadian thing uh, you know to, to talk about you know the father the father mentoring the son in hockey and even think of examples like people that played pro like you know Keith Kachuk is mentoring Matthew Kachuk and his other son and and I think it's really cool that I mean your son plays goalie so you know it's kind of interesting uh, a modern take on you know the you're, you're the mother mentoring your son right does he I mean how did that how did he come up as a goalie did he want to be like you and 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 do you, you watch his games and tell him little things just like any dad would do 
you know uh, how it started uh, i was working at mission hockey and they made me a my son was young, was about two or three years old. I took him to the ice, and they made me a cute little set of goalie gear. And I thought it was so much fun to put the goalie gear on, and he started playing. And every time he was goalie, he would play the entire game. And when he was player, he had to come off, you know, every shift to sit on the bench. And he didn't want to sit on the bench. He wanted to be on the ice the entire time. Mm. So it's like, I want to play goalie. And that's how he got started. He continued to play both, and he picked goalie at a certain age and um but i think like any parents and you can ask any nhl players when they try to coach their kids when they're younger they just look at you as their parents like my son or both my son when i coached them when they were younger they would say to me you don't know anything about hockey (laughs) you're just my mom (laughs) but they didn't realize until later (laughs) you know that I played at a high level and uh that i knew something but i talked to other nhl um players that try to coach at a young age and they had the same response that I did. <laughs> so it's not because I was a female that I got that response. Uh, but now it, it's cool that I can see the game, especially for a goalie. First of all, uh, I'm so happy that my second one did not pick goalie because <laughs> it's the worst thing to be the mom of a goalie. Um, I, the stress level, I love the stress when I play the game, but not uh, watching the game. And, uh, but at least I can talk with him. Like if he comes, sometimes he's the one that's going to come up to me and ask me a question, especially on the mental side of the game, because that was like one of my biggest strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we would watch a game at, and I would see things that most normal people that doesn't play the position would not necessarily right. notice or know about a goal that he allowed or a state that he made, or, you know, maybe play the puck behind the net and that give a pass to our, their players and win the game. And, if we would have not played that puck, that would have been a difference. You know what I mean? So right. I'm able to have those conversations with him mm-hmm. um, because I know the position, and that's been really cool. And my youngest one ended up, uh, he was doing both, and he ended up being a, a defense, which is a lot less stressful. <laughs> uh, now, Angie, I wanted to ask, as an American, what, what, what have been your impressions of uh, Canadian media when you've been doing the promotion of this book? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love Canadians. Everything we've done in Canada with the book, with the film, everything, everybody's so um, open and excited and knows so much about her story and also knows so much about hockey, which is a really nice thing. You know, there aren't things that need to explain. I mean, they just know so much about hockey. Um, yeah, we've, we've just, we've loved, we've loved um, doing press in Canada. We were super bummed to not be able to do a book tour. Um, We're hoping to be able to, uh, the book comes out in French in Quebec uh, in February. So we're hoping maybe by that time, you know, early spring, maybe we can do some in-person things in Canada because yeah, it was just such a wonderful reception there. Well, you know what? Uh, on that note, um, thank you, Angie, and thank you, Menno. Um, we were very glad to have this conversation with you both today. So thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, merci beaucoup. Yeah, thank you for having us. <laughs> Bye-bye. Merci.